Hi there, this is Peter Reichenbach and you're listening to the Scene World Podcast. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Scene World Podcast. Um, my voice is probably very alien to you, although I have been fortunate enough to be a guest in the past. Uh, my name is Rick Heaton. Uh, some may know me as Sapiens, and I am honored um, to be guest hosting this edition of the Scene World Podcast. Uh, I was asked because it is Scene World's 20th anniversary this year. Um, so I'm really excited to learn more about Scene World, more about uh, who these crazy guys are, and what they've what they've done over the years, how they got started, and just where they see Scene World going for the next 20 years. So without further ado, I have the honor of starting uh, with Andrew. Why don't you introduce yourself? Let us know what you do uh, at Scene World and how long you've been there, and then we'll just kind of kind of move around the room. Okay, I'm Andrew Fisher, Merman, and I've been part of People of Liberty and SeaMold since it started. Uh, I've been the editor, I've been programmer, I do music, I write texts, I, I now um, help out on the podcast and record videos for the SeaMold YouTube channel. Um, I started out before then as a writer on computer magazines in the UK. Uh, with uh, Commodore Force and Commodore Format, and I'm currently also a writer for Retro Gamer Magazine, for Wireframe Magazine that looks at gaming in general, and I'm, I've published a book on Commodore 64 games in 2008, and I'm currently working on a new book on arcade games, which will be out later this year. Wow, that's excellent. Um, you said you're currently a writer for, for Retro Gamer? Yes. Do, you, do you just cover cover C sixty four stuff for them, or just uh, no, no? I, I I I cover all aspects of uh, retro gaming with them. I've interviewed programmers. I've done making of articles looking behind how games are made, and uh, I, I do technical articles. I do fun articles. I do cover events and all sorts for, for retro gamers. So. Outstanding, outstanding. Let Let's move on uh, to our to our other guests here, our other Scene World employee, Martin. Why don't you introduce yourself? Hi there, I'm Martin Aman, uh, handle Ultras, and um, I'm more the Amiga guy here in this uh, round. And uh, I joined Scene World, I think it was in 2015, I think, yeah. And I work here as an editor and uh, as a composer, doing music and um, attending a lot of uh, stuff here in Germany with Jörg because we attend uh, the Gamescom fair here in Cologne every year and do stuff uh, and bringing our stuff to people directly. So that's so mainly my thing. And um, doing retro stuff, I am uh, actually composing music for the Amiga for actual games like Reshoot R. So uh, at the moment I'm sitting here and doing music for Reshoot R Proxima, uh, which will come in August, I think, and uh, I th yeah, that's just, yeah, that's my stuff. <laughs> <laughs> that's my stuff. Sounds like you've got a lot going on, despite being the, the, the new guy, right? Yeah. Comparatively speaking, comparatively speaking. <laughs> nice. And and he bet me money I would screw this up, so I'm probably about to. But let's have Jörg. Yes. Jörg? Okay. All yes, right. Jörg, exactly. T tell us... Uh, Tell us, because you are the OG, right? You started Scene World Magazine. Yes, yes. 
It started out actually in 1998 when I was 16. I had this idea when I learned that the Driven magazine was dead. That why not making a magazine that would cover NTSC and Paul Commodore 64 scenes in one magazine. And um, I, at this time I was talking with Alex de Vries who was um, doing Crystal software in the Netherlands. And I told him if he had any people that would be able to help. So he sent me a fax with a list of people. And on the list of people were Andrew Fisher. And he said, like, Andrew Fisher is a guy who does everything. He codes, he writes, he, he does graphics, he, he does music. So if you want to make a huge project that is crazy, and probably impossible to do, ask Andrew, he's very good. And this is how I got to know Andrew. And um, well, then I started out um, talking on the phone with him. And um, this is how, how we got together. And basically him and I, we started a scene world because he did most of the stuff. I did, I did the brain work, he did the other stuff, and um, then we had um, Robin Harpern, Macbeth from Canada, who did the Maxis, and then we had other people joining us along the way. And after the planning of uh, of five months, we finally released the first issue on February twenty eighth. And this is why um, it says every, everywhere since 2001, but actually we were founded on November 1st. That is when we got the group of people together. So founded on November 1st, 2000. That's why 2020 is your 20th anniversary. And then as with all publications, it takes a few months to put everything together uh, and to get it out the door. So so the, the first publication, the very first issue of Scene World, what was that like putting it together? Well, um, putting it together, you mean you mean the content together or from the brain work? A little bit of both. Uh, what, what was the whole process? Because I'm sure it's changed over 20 years and you have far better tools now than you did back then. Well, we used the postal service back in the day. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, I, I, wrote, I wrote to friends and um, I wrote to Mac from uh, Out of Order, which is a German graphic guy. And I wrote to Tom's from Tide on Australia if the two could make a Maxis outfit for a new magazine that would be groundbreaking. And I got both in the post um, a few weeks later and we decided for, for Max design, which we still use nowadays. And, and interestingly is how, how, I, how I put this is I used MS Paint in Windows 98 second edition. <laughs> I, I erased all the writings of Windows and then I scribbled with the pencil my ideas, you know, like go button, like chapters, text, like a little um, speaker and so on to change music. And I, I, I sent this crap to, to the two guys. This is how <laughs> this is how the thing was. So, and, so and, you were the you were the first person to do what now we would call dev art. Uh, for <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. And when it and when it came when it came to uh, to 
Uh, Macbeth, Robin asking me what graphic, uh, no, what text format should we use? Because there was no standard for disc magazine. And then I found, okay, in Europe, we, in the demo scene, we have Voodoo Noter. And Voodoo Noter is a, a format that all the other noters are using. So we decided for that. And, um, and this is how, how we actually got started. And, do, and at that time, uh, 20 years ago, most people would send us the text via discs. So it wasn't a big problem for us. Nowadays, most stuff come, uh, comes at text files or Word documents via email. And this is actually why Martin organized with a coder a text converter program. Oh, wow. So, so even though, I mean, two, 2000, you started and the first issue was 2001. Yeah. So the internet and email had existed for a little while. Maybe it wasn't as big as it is now, obviously. Yeah. But let's see, the World Wide Web was around 96, right? So what was, what was the reasoning behind using, you know, mail instead of, you know, just going right in, into doing web and internet publishing? Well, I that was how people swapped things back then. Yeah, so there's the, the whole swapping scene of, of pirated yeah. games and, and cracked games. So we just used the same system. There'd be people who were male traders. Their job was to, to send out the discs. And, and we swapped discs to, to get the magazine done. I had a dial-up a 56K modem. And Andrew had a TV set-top box. <laughs> oh, wow. And, he, and he, only could, he only could write emails of three lines. Right, yeah. and later on he got a keyboard attached to it, so he could he could write longer emails, but you couldn't attach disk images to the email, no. right? No, 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 no files, no. <laughs> exactly, and this is the reason why we still use the post. Wow, that makes sense. Then um, three a three sentence email that would have taken forever to send an article across. It <laughs> uh, and I'm guessing since exactly. you didn't have. A it was actually controlled with the, with a TV remote. With the, that's what I was going to ask. You didn't yeah. have a keyboard for a while. <laughs> you, through, you had to go through the letters one at a time. Press oh, it, my gosh. Go that's, that's, that's how I was doing email for a while. Yeah. Oh, that must have been painful. Yeah. I think I got my first email in 2002. And after, and after that, it was another couple of years then before we actually had a computer with internet access at home. So yeah. I, was going to the local, I was going to the local library to, to send emails. So. Oh wow! But, Seriously, um, but by 1998 in Germany, we got um, cheap possibilities to call to a prod by a call by call number that you would put in front of the country code, and then it would only cost a few cents per minute to make a call. So if I call to Andrew or to my neighbor, it's almost the same price. So rather than writing letters or emails, I, 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 um, I spoke to Andrew on the phone every weekend, weekly. Oh, wow. For, for five months to get that first issue out, right? Almost, pretty, almost yeah, weekly. Pretty much almost every weekend, weekly. Yeah. yeah. Pretty much every His weekend. His parents were like, oh, I bet it's Jörg again. <laughs> <laughs> I, I bet they were like, who is this Jörg guy? Why does he keep calling you? Uh, so, so. Within the scene right then, I mean, you, you mentioned, Andrew, that, you know, a lot of the reason why you did disc ops is because that was pretty common, you know, um, for you said the P word and you said it out loud. So I'm going to use it um, for people wow. who would pirate games. Yeah, that one. Um, 
so, someone who has worked in the software industry that, that kind of, you know, hair went up on the back of my neck. It's like, are we, are we talking about that out loud? Um, so I, I think if you if you think of the modern demo scene, effectively, it evolved from from the pirates. The pirates wanted to, to show off what they could do. So they would add a, a little intro to in front of the game they, they had cracked that, that they were spreading. And from that, that developed into the, the demo scene where people tried to push the computers further and do more with them. And so what started out was just you know a little message saying, hi, I cracked this, turned into scrolling messages and huge bitmaps and sprite effects and all this. And so you know, it, it was the start of an art form, really. And that all came from piracy and from swapping disks through the mail. That makes perfect sense, actually. And, and it makes perfect sense that you would use a medium and a methodology um, that that group was familiar with. Uh, because I imagine they were your most obvious, most immediate audience at the time, right? This is it. We we would have we would have contacts who were who were swappers who were within the the cracking groups and the demo demo groups, and their their function was purely to copy the disk, put it in a, an envelope, and ship it around the world. And that's how that's how the wares spread. So nice. so I mean the the bulletin board systems existed from the early eighties, and people right. uploaded to them. But a lot of people then still got their 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 pirated wares, their, their software on on a disc from from a mail trader, and that that's persisted. There's, there's still are people who are swapping on disc. Really, and and you are still publishing on disc. Is there still an option twenty years you, later? You can still we can still get it on a physical disc. We still still provide the images that can be written to a physical disc. So, so a physical C sixty four disc. You you yes, can download it disc. now and, and write it to. Yeah, that's impressive. That, that's legacy right there. That that's being in, consistent in, with who you are. In the early days, and, and we still we still provide them. There was a, a disc cover. You could we would literally photocopy the disc cover for each issue and spread it with the disc. So then the swapper would make more copies and spread it with his copies of the disc. And so people would have a you you cut and fold it and stick it together and a, a little slip paper sleeve that the disc would sit in. And we still we still produce those disc covers, for the magazine. They're on the website, and you can download one for each issue. Uh, that's outstanding. And to be clear, we're we're talking the old school for for those who aren't talking five and a quarter inch disc with a little paper sleeves, yes, right? That's yes. five and a, yeah. The Commodore sixty four. The majority of disc swapping was done on five and a quarter inch disc, so one hundred and seventy k each side. If you use the disc notcher on a double sided disc, you could get three hundred and forty k. Um, and then as we progressed, obviously, we started to make bigger and bigger issues with more and more text. And so we went to two sides and you had to flip the disc to get to the second side. And then and some issues have been three, four sides of a, of a, of a five and a quarter inch disc. Um, we've expanded the system so we can now also publish on a three and a half inch disc. Because there was a, there was a format in 64 where you can use three and a half inch discs, which is 780k. So you see the four sides would fit into the 780K. Um, so that 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 first issue all fit on one side of 178K, right? Uh, yes, yes, comfortably. Yeah, there was space. Yes. What is What was the size of the most recent issue, your last issue? <laughs> Good question. <laughs> four sides? Is I'm guessing it didn't go on a single-sided five and a quarter. <laughs> No, it's 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 two sides. It's two sides, definitely. Yeah. Most recent. We have we have published issues that have been three three four sides of this, so would be two physical floppy. Would, would be two physicals. Wow. 
that that's actually when you think about it when you think about how much just a word document eats up today even a yeah. short half pager it's yeah. impressive to think how much text how much information you can actually get on 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 an old five and a quarter well Jörg's mentioned the voodoo noter format so to just walk you through the process of getting the text into an issue we take the basic file so whether that's a a Voodoo Noter file or, or a Word document we've converted into Voodoo Noter, which is two or three steps to get to get it into the Voodoo Noter format. That's then uh, edited so it's 40 columns to fit on the into the mag magazine system. That file is then crunched into a smaller file, and so that is then decrunched, decompacted when it's loaded into the magazine itself. So that's you know so we can squeeze even more on there by using that, that cruncher. That's exactly the process, yeah. And since two years, um, with the lead of Martin, um, we actually have a converter that's getting rid of the first steps that Andrew just mentioned. So you would just load in the text file um, and then you would um, be able to export it in a in a Voodoonoter ready file. So Martin, you're basically taking all of the the complexity out of the transfer? Or are you just creating complexity behind the scenes so they don't have to deal with it? <laughs> no. <laughs> Actually, I'm, I'm no coder, uh, but uh, as an editor, I had a lot of other, as I joined SeamWorld, actually, um, they didn't have the issue to, to, to have any music or so, but uh, uh, as Jörg and I talked, he just said, hey, we have some uh, issues with uh, converting the text. And uh, my first thing was, I don't know, was it uh, 2016? Uh, whole Christmas, I was sitting there in my room <laughs> and converting text by hand in Voodoo Nota. It was, I don't know if I could say it, it was a real pain in the ass. <laughs> it, was, it, it was. I can imagine it would be. <laughs> well, Martin, I've, I've I've been there for years and converting it before, so I know what a pain that is. Yeah, Andrew, yeah. did you just get off my lawn, Martin? Is that what I just heard? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. no. You you young you young witnesses <laughs> don't is. understand what the pain is like. <laughs> and basing uh, it out to get it to 40 columns <laughs> yeah. oh yeah but, oh, but actually <laughs> it actually it, it had to be i think it had to be i had to go through this to 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 uh, to to imagine how how painful this all this is and 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 uh, just as a as a real the, one of the younger guys here i i just sat there i, th I, th I thought could that be done more easily and um Thankfully, we got some. Uh, we have some uh, good contacts to the demo scene, actually, and uh, so we got in contact to Doc K from Mood Plateau. He's just living 50 kilometers from here, and uh, yeah, we met, and uh, he actually actually said, "Yeah, let's do this and do a, a um, web-based solution for converting text in a Voodoo Nota ready format." So uh, yeah. And I think um, now the work, <laughs> the work is, uh, yeah, it's just drag and drop in the end. And uh, so uh, we have to do some, uh, yeah, how do you call it? Uh, some, yeah, 
I, I, I like the hand waving. I think that summed it up. <laughs> <Little> yeah, <magic. laughs> just just this, this little little work on it. So uh, it's not si sitting there two three weeks for for converting text. It's just sitting there for some hours and you're done. And actually, I think so. We have more times uh, doing better content now. Yeah. Ah, so so I'm hoping it takes a lot less than five months now to put together. An issue, right? You're laughing like, oh, heck no. <laughs> depends, depends, depends. It depends. We are getting better. We are getting better. Yeah. We are getting 20, better. 20 years down, you're getting better. Always improving. That, that yeah. That's the secret, right? We're always finding ways to make it better. Well, we had one case where we actually released an issue two months ahead of time. And that was a surprise to me. It was like, oh, we're already done. Like, okay. But that's that only happened once in 20 years. I, so, should, I, should, I should really run Rick through some of the uh, long delays and, and problems. So had I was actually just issues. going to ask what, you know, I, I'm sure between that first issue and, and your most recent issue, there are a million stories. What, what is probably one of, what, what was the longest delay and why in putting there's, out there's, an issue? There's two really long delays and I'm involved in both of them. <laughs> <laughs> so after the, after the first issue, um, Jörg mentioned Robin Harbour and Macbeth, who was uh, coding it. He wasn't available to help with the second issue. And all we had was some basic instructions on how to do it. And so the task of putting the second issue together fell to me. And it was a nightmare. I didn't understand how the code worked. I didn't understand how to change the menus so you could see which chapters were in, in actually in the magazine. And at one point, I, I literally had to resort to poking values into memory to try and change the text that came up in the menus. And so that contributed to a year's delay for the second issue. That so was a year oh between gosh. issue one and issue two. And there were people who were already saying, oh, they're already gone. They've had enough. They've pulled out. And so second issue appears and people think, yeah, that's great. And so over the next three, four years, we were doing really well getting out issues out quite regularly, two, three issues a year. And then unfortunately, I suffered some major health problems and various other things. And uh, so then there was a, was it four years? Five years, five, five years, years. yeah. And between issues? Between issues. Wow. And the, the, interest, the interesting little story with that next issue is that, that Jörg actually traveled, traveled over from Germany to England and uh, we assembled the, the, the last bits of work were done live at my house, including writing a, a new editorial to go on. So that, that issue was sort of a, a comeback. And, wow. uh, you know, and then people and then from that. the scene were actually asking us, will this go on? And then we refounded the group. So, so, so it was a year between the first two issues yeah. and then a five-year break. When, where did that fit in in, in the timeline? Had you had a few come out, or was that almost yeah. immediately after um, the year? No, no, one? that was issue fifteen. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so 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 you had been kind of established, and people were now sort of getting into the groove, and then you fell off the face of the earth for five years. Yeah, yeah, oh, exactly. Yeah. So much so that that the boss had to come and sit down next to you <laughs> and make <laughs> no, sure you got no, done. That was that was actually a surprise. <laughs> I was sleeping, and I was still in my pajamas. And then Andrew was also in his pajamas, and he was surprising me and said, like, while you were sleeping, I actually was preparing something. 
and then he surprised me. Hey, I got I got the whole the old hard drive of my rubbish laptop, and uh, managed to get an adapter cable and get all the the data out of it. And look what I found. I found the folder with all the stuff from SceneWorld, which is 100% done. We just did a tutorial. Even the intro was already finished. I didn't know that. And then I go, okay. And it was, I guess it was a matter of like um, uh, three hours or so. And then yeah, the magazine was, yeah, yeah. And, the, and, the, and the thing is, Andrew is very modest in his yeah. skills. Like, ah, there are better people than me with coding. But Andrew never forgets a thing, you know. He, he did put this together like it was yesterday, the last wow. issue, you know. So after five years of, of not touching any of it, yeah, it just exactly. it all came right back. I, I was yeah, pretty much back into the groove. I, you know, remembered how remembered how to do all the text conversion. Remembered how to label label the the file file names and yeah. order the menus and boom, it's ready. <laughs> that is before we had that. That is before we had documentation of what we actually are doing. See, <laughs> so see, so, so, let, let me see time frame wise. So for probably like ten years, there was no documentation on how to actually. Do the work. I had, I have, I still have uh, a folder full of paper records of SceneWorld. So it would be a case of planning out what text is going to be in each, in each issue and where, you know, splitting it into chapters. And I'd make notes on, oh, I've converted this file, but I haven't done this to it yet. And I've got all those paper records still. But that that was the only record really of how to do it. And there was Jörg didn't have any of it. So. <laughs> So in, in recent in recent years we've we've as you mentioned earlier we've now got a, we've now got a wiki and we've got a Facebook group and we we, we communicate those things better. So, yeah. So yeah. So so now you have kind of like what what we call over here the bus policy. If yeah. so and so gets hit by a bus, <laughs> yeah, knowledge is somewhere that okay, good. Yes. Now now it's all safe. Yeah. We we had we had we had a similar case in the recent years. Um, when when our guy who who uh, put uh, together the web version of Scene World was missing from the Earth, our guy from China, and then we had to re we had to re-engineer his web work, and and uh, this was the key experience for me where I said, okay, we put a stop to this now. Now we make a wiki, and everybody writes his stuff that he knows into this wiki. And since then, we have a central knowledge base for what we do. I'm not I trying to cause stress, quiet. but that, that wiki's safe, right? It's not going <laughs> to no, go down. Or, no, oh, all right, good. good. <laughs> and I, I think that's quite a, quite a cool addition to the, to the Scene World website, uh, thanks to a, a JavaScript emulator. You can actually run the issue, the DiskMag issues, the Commodore 64 issues, and more recently, the Amiga issues, in a web browser, run through the text almost as if you're running on a real machine. That's impressive. So so there's a real-time emulator on the site, on the Scene World yeah. site? Yeah. That's yes. outstanding. For, for the C64 and the Amiga version, and um, I have to say those things um, in, in Scene World, many tasks are like putting off fires. <laughs> I, I remember Martin... Martin really... I, I don't... I, I don't know if this will be a video podcast at some point, but if you yeah. weren't watching this, Martin almost fell backwards out of the chair when you said that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. yeah. I, yeah. I 
feel he thinks you may have understated it a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Martin, Martin had actually to make a phone call to another guy from us, another Martin, to convince him to not give up on the Amiga um, emulator for the web. Yeah. So uh, this issue with not so what whatsoever any uh, uh, information in the internet about uh, having the Amiga running in JavaScript uh, on the website and and the the, the programmer who who did the the JavaScript library actually uh, had no information for us and 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 Martin and and me were work, working together with. Oliver slash six uh, in America, and and just started converting the magazine, the Maxis, in 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 a Amiga format, so that just we could use this on the Amiga, but it it, it actually was just a wrapper doing the C sixty four code on the Amiga, so the uh, yeah that's what was not the deal at the end, and uh, so we were sitting there and and, and we were attending. Uh, I think the last uh, Gamescom fair in uh, Cologne, and and uh, I I uh, we have our hardware standing there, so you can touch the disc Mac, you can uh, have the disc and 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 read the Scene World magazine, and uh, I also had my Amigas there, and I did want to have a better solution for the Amiga, so that you could see that Amiga is probably. A better system? No, it isn't. But uh, it's the system of, of my heart, you know. So uh, I had to sit there with my Amigas, and I would show off a little bit. And and so so I I think it was one week before the fair we started uh, getting in contact with the program of the uh, Amiga emulator. Yeah. And started to do all this Sysmex stuff one week before the fair. Yeah. And uh, I think we finished at. 9 p.m. before Gamescom. Yeah. Oh my gosh. The evening before. <laughs> the discs were hot. They, they were. I, I just... bet. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> we were sitting in the Skype group conversation like we do now, like uh, three people with the email from Rupert, who is the coder of the, of, uh, the Amiga um, um, scripted Amiga emulator. And we, we hacked this thing together like in the last second. In the very last second. Yeah. But in, in the middle of all the other Gamescom preparations. Yeah. Of course. Of <laughs> course. Sure. Yeah. And, and uh, actually, I'm, I'm very uh, fond of having uh, some other, some other scene guys from, from, from the Amiga scene uh, helping us now with the new Maxis. So we get a native system now. Um, just uh, adding the Woodenota files in and, and getting some native Amiga stuff there. So we spread our stuff now more on every platform natively. So I think that's very nice after no, 20 that's, years that's, of uh, doing Be strong. <laughs> yeah. I think that's excellent because, because as I detected, there seems to be a little bit of um, bias and favoritism, depending on whether you're a C64 person or an Amiga person. Yeah. <laughs> I, I detected we, a little bit of that. Now we do both. Well, the I thing is, both. thing is, I never owned an Amiga. I never touched an Amiga. So I said to to the guys, if you want to make an Amiga version, I'm out of it. And then Martin freelanced to take the lead on getting this thing off the ground. Wow, that's I mean, impressive, Martin. One of the things yeah. I've noticed in in hearing these conversations 
is, you know, Andrew, I'm guessing you're in the UK, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Martin and Jörg, you guys are in Germany. I know AJ, exactly. who couldn't be with us today, uh, is in the US. Exactly. You mentioned you, you had someone in China that you were working with, someone in Canada. Still. still. How did, still. How yep. did that come about? How did this really become a global enterprise? You're a well, multinational. I, I can tell you. I can tell you when we put our homepage up in uh, in the year 2001, which I coded myself with with Notepad, because I learned uh, I a homepage programming at that time. Um, we got a guestbook entry from Victor. Victor, um, aka Retromantis from Peru Lima, and he said like, "Hey guys, you are cool." Um, 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 I want to be in touch, uh, uh, and it went that far that in 2013, in, Ap in April, I actually went over. Um, I went over to uh, Lima and visited him and some scene friends. And it also went that far that last year Victor did a tra did a travel to Europe. And visited us and spent a week at Gamescom with us. Wow! So they, a lot of impressive. a lot of team members we got because people asked us how to join. Martin, for example, sent us a Twitter tweet while yeah. while we were uh, while we were making a Twitch show, a Twitch Twitch live show, um, how to play online via Vice Emulator on a C64. Um, and he, he wrote a tweet saying, this is crazy, guys. You are crazy. You are doing crazy, incredible stuff. How can I join? And and how do you feel now that you've joined, Martin? Was this a good call, bad call? And <laughs> with, with all the stuff on fire and the hand-wavy stuff from before. <laughs> it's really slow to answer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But in the end, I'm really honored to 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 have uh, to to have the opportunity to join this group because um, besides all these uh, this stuff with um, uh, doing things in the last second, uh, Jörg and I have a lot of calls during the week, uh, do a lot of uh, tech talk and, and and helping each other. It's 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 being rich with 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 these guys together and have all these stuff and, and if you have a question you can ask you get help from anywhere from all over the world it's 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 actually uh, awesome yeah and cool. i just i just want to i just want to turn it around and pay tribute to you he's been the <laughs> organizer the, the beating heart of people living <laughs> in scene world for these 20 years it was Thank his you. idea his idea to to think globally and get people together and it worked because I, I, you know, I, I certainly feel that there's a lot more interaction, a lot more cooperation going on. There's so much <coughs> happening, and SeamWorld has gone from being a five and a quarter inch floppy with C64 data on it to being a YouTube channel, a Twitch channel, social media, a website with the emulator versions, and it's it's Jörg that's made it happen. But not not always not always exclusive, uh, exclusively because for example the podcast was the idea of AJ AJ Heller Division who who is always been a person who said who is like the the good the good person always making suggestions to me how I should handle things 
and I shouldn't take things too much to my heart. And uh, you know, and and he also had this podcast idea. So the Scene World podcast was actually his idea because he found a microphone for five bucks in a second-hand store. <laughs> it's interesting where inspiration comes from sometimes. But yeah. I think to Andrew's point, I don't think that sort of thing happens if at its core the leader is resistant to the ideas of the people he's working with. So I, I do think... Andrew, I think you have a point. I think we, we, without the right leadership, none of this happens, right? We, without somebody who says, you know what? That's a good idea. We're going to try it. It doesn't get done. Well, the more people tell us it's impossible, the more I'm motivated to do it anyways. Oh, you're one of those kind of people. Okay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, I mean, uh, best example. We, um, um, as you know, Rick, because we talk a lot also, um, we, we are at Gamescom in the business area having appointments. And to this day, we are still one of the few, if not the only retro publication having those appointments. And um, I remember sitting there at Konami and uh, with other people, influencers from YouTube, and the presenter is asking how many people know about Contra? And all the others were like, I heard the name, but I never played the games before. And Martin and I were the only people in the presentation that actually know the game. <laughs> <laughs> so you're like, still wow. Playing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And um, and actually, the latest Contra is not a bad game. But um, so so. Um, it's it's really incredible to be suddenly asked by Gamescom to have a booth and suddenly be invited by Konami to be interviewed and taking part in presentations. It's totally mind blowing to me. And and I remember I remember when we first contacted you back in the day because you were a PR person. Um, you 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 told me once you were surprised that that we are bigger as a project than you than you um than you thought originally absolutely i i was honestly surprised um so i am of an age where i remember <laughs> you know the <laughs> c64 and and i while i did not have one i had the enemy <laughs> the i had an atari 800 ah, um the other enemy the, the one of the many enemies i'm sure that, that came out of that <laughs> whole thing. Uh, i too remember bulletin boards and and downloading and, and everything else and dial up you, you said you had a 56k i had a 300 baud modem was my first ever modem. yeah mine, um, too, so, mine too really see yeah. that, that's how far that's why you guys get off our lawn me and andrew are gonna go <laughs> get a pint down the pub uh, <laughs> but and i I do remember that conversation. I, I, I was, and to be honest, I'm still legitimately impressed that, you know, this community and this scene really are as big as they are. And I think it's really cool that, you know, in the last few years, major uh, developers, major companies have started to recognize that there's actual profitability there. You know, you, you can look at things like um, the NES Mini, and, and things like that that are, that are kind of stepping in there. there. There is, I don't know if it's been released in the States now, but I think it was released in Europe, the uh, the Mini C64. Oh, yes, true. Yeah. yeah. So th this is all coming back around, but you guys really kind of were way ahead of that wave. Well, that's I mean, we, true. Yeah. We haven't given up on the on the older machines. We were, That's we true. Were still, 
interested and and alert to what was happening. And I think there is, I think Europe particularly has had that a lot longer than the States. I think there's an an older generation, so those in their 40s, who are looking back and thinking, oh, I had that NES game growing up. I'd love to play that again. Or, you know, they've, they've, they've seen, oh, this latest Metroid game has come out. I remember playing Metroid back in the day. And they, they look at it from that side of the nostalgia. Whereas, I think I can speak for Jörg here as well, because we were back there and played a lot of the old games and still had the old systems around, we were still interested in what was happening. And because of that, there is then this almost a second wave now of interest in the older machines. There are commercial companies making games for the Commodore 64 still. There are commercial companies, as you mentioned, the C64 Mini and the new full-size THG C64, which have a working keyboard, um, are an example of how it's not necessarily about making money out of it, but it is about capturing that nostalgia and looking back and thinking, this is where we came from. Look at where we are now. Because as much as I enjoy playing modern games, I still find it much easier to pick up an old game for a few minutes and play. Something I've played before, I can just get straight into rather than having to learn that L3 and Triangle does something. Right. No, I, I even three years ago, maybe four years ago now, went you know back on eBay and, and hunted down a fully functioning, and I'm, I'm going to say the bad word again, Atari 800, um, <laughs> c- complete with, you know, the, the double-sided, double-density disk drive and the cassette drive and a whole bunch of other stuff. And, and one of the games that I have that I will go back to there um, is Zaxxon oh, yeah. by, by Datasoft, right? And, mm. and in my defense, if you flip the disk over, it's the C64 side. There was a lot of software sold back then that yeah, there was, was one format on one side and one format on the other side. They were very agnostic developers at the time. Yes, it's interesting. If you if you look back slightly earlier, sort of the TRS-80, that era, there were there were companies that were selling one tape with two or three different versions on. And right. then, as you say, Datasoft and Mastertronic, who are based in the UK here, they did the flippy disk with Atari and C64 versions on. And they're quite they're quite collectible now. Those releases, just because of what they represent, a time when all the formats formats were growing together. Right, but, but the original you, console wars was really C64, Atari, yeah. uh, and, and all of those, you know, home computers, the, those first entries into that space. Exactly. But even, then you, even then you see, I mean, you mentioned Datasoft. Datasoft were more agnostic than most because they produced great games on both Atari and C64. Um, <laughs> the Juno first, just speaking from a game I've been playing recently. Uh, that's an arcade conversion, original Konami game. The same program actually programmed both the C64 and Atari 8-bit versions of that. And that's sort of interesting. But now I think we're <laughs> actually going the other way in that we're sort of merging closer together because effectively your, your PS4s and your Xbox Ones are PCs in a box. Yeah, they're, they're all NVIDIA, AMD, yeah. Intel internals, yeah. right? So now they're, they're PCs with really kind of a, a, a custom operating system over yeah. the top. Yeah. 
you notice here you notice you notice here how how it goes up the hill martin knows a bit about retro i know a bit more about retro and andrew is our expert and andrew is gandalf of this group i can tell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he oh, is like the that. famous guy here you know i've got that's I've got very a, cool i've got a friend on twitter who calls me the retro oracle because if he asks the question it's usually me that answers it <laughs> Yeah. So, um, but uh, hey, it, it, I mean, it's, it's 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 a crazy time. I mean, um, I think Martin remembers last year when we had an appointment at 3D Realms. We shook hands with with Scott Miller, who invented the shareware concept. And and I have I have the I have the phone number from the CEO of 3D Realms. And then, like, I never thought in my life that that I would 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 talk to industry heroes like best buddies someday, you know, and would actually make projects together, like being interviewed for the um, Frankfurt Film Museum at wow. an exhibition, you know. What was stuff. that like? That was amazing to be um, to be suddenly asked to help an exhibition program for the German. Um, Film Museum in Frankfurt. That was incredible. And um, so all those things, I never thought it would happen. So Scene World is a lot more than just a disc magazine. We branched out to do more stuff, sometimes by chance and sometimes because other members had new ideas. And that's a good thing. I, I think that's how you guys have managed to go 20 years, right? Is because you you were always willing to adapt, change, move forward, explore, you know, new venues, new opportunities. Um, and again, I, I would personally say that has a lot to do with you. Streaming at each other or losing nerves. <laughs> <laughs> losing hard drives for five years, you know. <laughs> there's, 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 a, there's an old Yiddish word called chutzpah. And I think Jörg has plenty of that. Yeah, you know, as you said, he's he's prepared to go up to someone at Gamescon and ask them and, for an interview. He's prepared to to sit down and and find an email for someone. He spent he spent he spent years tracking people down, and that yeah. resulted in some great interviews and great features for the for the magazine and also obviously for the new ventures, the podcast and the and the YouTube channel. I spent ten years tracking down Chris Crick, which was the sound manager of Epics. Ten years. Ten years to find Ten him. Ten years to find him. Ten years. And so then I spent another year calling him each week till he answered his home phone. So, <laughs> you know, 20 years ago, we didn't have a word for that. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty sure we do now. <laughs> yeah. I don't think it's chutzpah. <laughs> uh, so, uh, yeah, so... Uh, yeah, well, this is just me. I'm persisting. Yeah. Well, that, that's that's actually a good thing because because that that is why you guys are celebrating your 20th anniversary now is because you know <laughs> you, you've managed to hold it together and and keep it moving. I, I'm really curious. What about fans? I'm sure you guys have a pretty good fan base uh, collectively and maybe individually. Except Martin, he looks very concerned when I said fans. Well, well, oh. I sent you. <laughs> I sent you some. I sent you some photos yep. before the interview, um, <laughs> where 
<laughs> Martin so, is very proudly showing off his scene world t-shirt. <laughs> so um, I sent you some interviews. Uh, I sent you some photos before the interview where, where um, AJ actually went to exhibitions in New Jersey and he was asked by fans to sign and give autographs. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I saw those. That was it's kind of where I was going. It's like, do you do, do people seek you out? Like when you say we're going to be here, do you, do you have that cadre of fans that come up like, you know, they did with AJ? And, and you do, do you guys get a crowd at your booth at Gamescom? Probably not because they know us, but because I think it's cool. <laughs> I think being recognized is more an, an American thing. Fair. I mean, it, it happens to AJ sometimes. He's filling up his car and his gas station person says like, hey, you should listen to a podcast. I see <laughs> you are into retro. I think it's called Seeing seen Something. That's funny. You know? And then H.A. is starting like, it's a SeaWorld podcast. And this guy is <laughs> standing there with open mouth. Like, wow, you are you are the moderator of this podcast. Oh, my God. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And AJ so actually cool. hates, hates, hates being recognized. Does he really? Yes, he hates I'm it. I'm going to have to give AJ grief. <laughs> <laughs> he hates it. So all those photos, all those comments were actually from his girlfriend because she's so proud of him. And I think she should be. I really do. I... I and I do agree. I think it's more of an American thing. That's why I was curious um, to just to know how you guys kind of saw that that whole side of things, and, and whether you you did get the, the 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 screaming fans, even when you know you're trying to force it a little bit there, Martin, by showing off the T-shirt and saying, "Hey, notice me." <laughs> well, 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 we 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 had we had actually we we had um, fans who said, "Martin is a little cute cuddle bear." Yeah. <laughs> and and then so, and so the, he has groupies. Yeah. And then <laughs> then, then HA had to tell her unfortunately he's already married and he has kids. Oh. <laughs> Sorry ladies. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Martin's off the market. <laughs> so yeah, so and it, it actually it actually happens that uh, sometimes we are um um, we are emailed by press people. So um, I think it was three years ago. Yeah, we had somebody from the third largest um, smartphone mobile page in Moscow. In Moscow. And she, yeah, and she emailed us and uh, she asked if we could help her um, researching contacts and info about Commodore and the 30th anniversary with Chuck Paddle and so on. I said, like, sure, no problem. I have those people on my Skype contact list. I can put you together. And, and I did. And actually, she went so far and went to Gamescom with us. Excellent. Yeah. From, and from Russia. On the, That's cool. on the second evening at Gamescom, we actually went to a Russian restaurant. <laughs> In Germany. In yeah. Germany, in Cologne, in the near of Gamescom, and and I think Martin was with us, right? Martin, you should yeah. remember. Yeah, I was. Yeah, and well, and it actually actually it was also a business lunch with the two key people from 3D Realms, yeah. Frederick Schreiber and Mike Nielsen. 
excellent. So we had a Russian, we had a Russian journalist of one of the biggest sites in Moscow. We had the three, we had the two key people from 3D Realms and us from the Scene World crew all sitting in a restaurant on a large table. Yeah, that was. And, and 20 great. years ago, that was never even a thought, was it? No, 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 no. I said, Martin, I'm I disappointed think... you remember it because that means you did not drink your fill of vodka, so I'm a little disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> no, I drank some Russian beer, so... Uh, <laughs> oh, okay, so, that'll work. Uh, yeah, so anyway, anyway, so we, we tried to enjoy the things even after Gamescom um, was, was um, over for that day. And it, it also it also slipstreamed a bit into other publications because, for example, I got in touch after eight years of searching with Stefano Arnold from Tectoy, and actually it helped Andrew to get an interview with Stefano Arnold after our podcast. I think it was for retro. No, it was for the annual plus. No, no, it was, it was for it was for Retro Gamer. It ah, just came out was, in Retro Gamer at the end of last year. Ah. And yeah, that was a, a fascinating interview um, with Stefano looking back over 30 years with Tectoy in Brazil. Um, they licensed the Sega hardware, so they produced the Master System and the Mega Drive in Brazil. And in recent years, they then produced new versions of the, of, of the hardware, just as the sort of the mini console idea was catching on elsewhere. They were, they were ahead of the curve on that, really. And then they produced a portable master system and their version of the Mega Drive Mini first before Sega's official one. And, uh, you know, so there's some fascinating stories there from Stefano, um, some of which we we'd had covered in the podcast, but, uh, which obviously then I was able to put down in print and capture that history for, for Retro Gamer. And I mean, ironically, then, Stefano then sold up his interest in Tectoy and moved on. He's uh, still a consultant to the company, but I think we've, we've seen Oz help. We just captured it at that right point, got lots of interesting stories. Exactly. Actually, before this call here, I had a call with a friend from Brazil. I'm actually planning to go to Brazil this June and meet him in person. That's wow. actually my planning right now. Yeah. He offered me to put me in touch with the new owners of Tectoy and show me a bit um, about the uh, Mega Drive hardware and so on. So that's actually what I'm planning to do. If COVID-19 does allow me, um, <laughs> um, that's my planning for this year. Yeah. Yeah, here's here's hoping on that one. Um, yeah. I, I think we'll be good. I think we'll be good. So I, I'm really interested because we're, we're now talking about systems that are 40 plus years old. Yeah, well, the Commodore right? 64 will be 40, 40 in 2022. Right. So how do you how do you outside of emulators how do the I, I'm I'm guessing they're purists right the people that actually want to physically own the hardware how I do. I how do, does yeah. how does how does the community keep that alive and 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 do you guys do anything to kind of help with that and and bring awareness to keeping you know the the old hardware alive? Well, I think I think we've all got old hardware between us that we keep running. Um, one of, the, one of the key things that's helped in recent years has been um, modern storage methods. So for the Commodore 64, you can get the SD to, to IEC and the 1541 Ultimate, which allow you to run either an SD card or a USB stick. So you can download the soft, new software straight from the internet as a, as, a, as a disk file 
put it put it into one of those devices on the SD card or the USB stick and run it run it on the real hardware, which is faster, easier, and you know, and really convenient. So I mean, that's helped. I think in a lot right. of ways, and there there are similar solutions for other machines and the flash carts and that sort of thing for the console. For me, I own the 1541 Ultimate, but I only use it to preserve data sets, so tapes. Mm -hmm. I still use the original disk drives. And I actually have connected my Commodore to my router with an Ethernet adapter <laughs> that that puts the PC as a slave and the C64 as a master, and then over the 10 uh, megabit Ethernet connection, I transfer the D64 files onto real disks and, and back if needed. That's what I do. So, I don't, so it's not I just about like, preserving. Yeah. It's it's actually about just continually integrating it with modern hardware. Of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I actually did an interview with um with with the people who invented that hardware. You can get a you can get a wireless modem for the Commodore sixty four. You can get yeah. uh, you know you can get on a telnet and things like that. You can you know the um we mentioned that the C sixty four mini. The big advantage of that obviously is connects straight to an HD yep. television. Um, so that's really useful. Um, developed out of the 154 Ultimate is the new Ultimate 64 motherboard, which is a replacement for the original motherboard. And again, that has an HD connection. It can um, actually stream video data and capture video data as well. So there are, mod you know, as you say, there are modern solutions for, for keeping the software and keeping the spirit alive. So, so there are actually right now people out there that are building new hardware with more advanced tech that maintains yeah. that core functionality yeah. of the original hardware. Yeah. But what That's most incredible. people don't know is that since the beginning, we actually supported um, new hardware where possible. So um, when when um, in, in the Czech Republic, there were this IDE64 controller being developed. We were actually um, the first disk magazine that supported this with a plug-and-play driver. So um, the way the Vexus works is it detects which hardware is connected to the C64 and if it's figured out, oh, you have an IDE64, you can, you can run the Maxis from your hard disk or from your 5081. Um, or NTSC PAL, it will automatically adjust the speed. So that is what is special about the about Scene World as a disk magazine. And it's funny because I read I read uh, posts um, from other people who didn't know and like, oh, I figured out um, since the last issue, you can run the Scene World magazine um, from the IDE64 controller from a hard disk. And I wrote back, you can actually do this since 10 years. <laughs> so, so you guys actually keep the magazine up, up to date on, on hardware too so that it can run on, on whatever someone may have or again through the emulator yeah so, so in, in a sense you guys are as much a part of you know the, the retro preservation community and the current development community really for, for, for that hardware because yeah. you, you have to keep your magazine up to date to run on, on, on new options and reach yeah. those new opportunities that is why we have this um new member um ben who is called stingray in the amiga scene who actually modified 
um, the Amiga version of the Maxis to run on modern graphic hardware. Wow. So, yeah. so you, you can actually run that on, on the computer that we all have on our desk in front of us right now. Well, I didn't mean emulator. I am I'm not I'm not an Amiga expert. I think okay. Marty can explain it better. But there are there are non-official graphic solutions for the Amiga that that wasn't supported um, originally and now is with the next issue coming forward. But I guess Marty can explain more about that because I'm not an Amiga guy. Well, actually, there's not nothing to to explain, but. Uh, uh, in in this, it's just um, uh, native Amiga formats, and, and and that's that's the problem because the Amiga started this thing. What the C sixty four was one system. The Amiga started out having AGA graphic systems, ECS graphic systems, and and well, actually a lot of of, of formats going on there, and uh, and we had the problem that the uh, first Maxes just didn't uh, work out. On the original hardware, as good as we thought. Oh, sorry, it's my cat. <laughs> <laughs> and the cat's name is? It's a semi. Semi? Okay. <laughs> Se um, a, a, another um, another member of the crew. Oh, Semi's yeah. really good. Semi <laughs> so, is the emotional support. <laughs> <laughs> yes. We have to so, make Sammy an honorary member now. There we go. <laughs> So, uh, now he's going to end up on the masthead. It'll be great. Yeah, we'll add him. We'll add him to the people of Liberty. Yeah. So, so and, and just just to end this, uh, sum it up. Uh, we 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 did the Maxis. We we did it on 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 the JavaScript thing. We we did it on the uh, emulator, and that is, was up for fine. But in the community, Stingray just. Paul uh, uh, just got the the ADF file, got his uh, Amiga fired up, and and saw problems there on the real hardware, actually. So things that were running on on the emulator uh, uh, did not run on on the original stuff. So uh, actually, we had the support from the scene by itself because people want to read us read the magazine on the real hardware. Very cool. So so there there are. There are still challenges in creating the magazine and yeah. ensuring that it does run on the genuine original yes. 30, 40 year old hardware. Yeah. True, true, true. Yeah. Wow. That's kind of neat to, to understand that, 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 that there are still, you know, coding challenges on hardware not, of that not age. Not only there. For example, we have. Um, <laughs> Uh, Kevin Castiles, who is our guy in Canada, he wrote us some years ago, like, your NTSC news chapter is not good enough. You are missing this news, that news, this news. <laughs> and then then I, I wrote back, if you can do it better, join us. And, and since then, since then <laughs> he's doing the NTSC news chapter because wow. he can do it better. <laughs> because he's in a territory that uses it, right? Yeah, but HA is too, but HA uh, is not so AJ's much... HA is just about getting recognized by, by gas station attendants. We know. <laughs> <laughs> right. Probably. That's it. He's so he's so busy it's writing autographs. That, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think, I think that's another interesting aspect of, of SeamWorld in that people would say, oh, but you could, you could go on a website and read this or you could pick up the latest news on a, on a social media outlet yes we we use those but in a way it's sort of harking back to how it was how the news used to spread 
we put out a dismount and it, it captures it captures little moments in the scene in all the scenes and says this is what's happening this is what's coming up this is you know this is a, a story and we're keeping those stories alive by capturing them. And, and creating new ones yeah at the same time yeah, because you, you're actually you know beyond just those stories you you're really I would argue central to keeping that community alive because you're providing them um, with information. They, obviously, they're providing you with it as well. And 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 to your point, Andrew, that's exactly how it used to work, right? I, I can remember in, in the in the local communities I was in that, that were kind of that home PC based stuff, and 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 the old Atari communities were the same way. It was always about sharing information back and forth. It, even though there may be um, a central publication, there was always still that sense that that's the outlet, but the inlets were always huge because there was all this information always coming to you by multiple sources. Mm. And and what I'm hearing is that's still happening today with Seenwall. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And some years ago, I actually discovered we were mentioned as source um, in, an, in a book about video game history in Singapore by a professor who is a researcher for computer history. So you guys ended up in the bibliography, I guess, or, or as a footnote in a research paper in Singapore. Yeah, exactly. On a, on a book, actually. Yeah. It, it was in a book? It, it, it was, was in, in a book. In a, in a book. In a book published in Singapore by a professor about, um, about computer history. Yeah. Which was the entire point 20 years ago to make sure you reached that. That kind of no, uh, we never, we never even try, uh, we never even thought we would get our own Wikipedia entry. Really? I mean, the, yeah. the whole, the whole, the whole point was to connect the the PAL and NTSC scenes. Exactly. To keep, to keep, to keep the spirit of the earlier Driven magazine going, which was, you know, which was all about the NTSC scene and was was read by a lot of people in the PAL scene as well. And I mean, I myself was part of an earlier effort that had a sort of a, a similar idea called Universal, which is a disc magazine that was around 1993-1994. And that. that had chapters from several different countries. So there was a French chapter and an Italian chapter. Um, the group I was in at the time, Ozone, was based in Ireland. So um, the head of that group here used to write a chapter on Ireland and what's happening in the Irish scene. And I sort of see, you know, that came out, Driven had its international look, and then seeing sort of carried that idea on and gets input, you know, we've had input from around the world. That's fantastic. Yeah. It's, it, 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 it interests me that, you know, from, from day one, and, and even, Andrew, based on what you just said, long before day one, mm. scene world has been evolving with the scene itself. And, and the scene itself continues to evolve and expand. And, and it, it feels like it, it, it's reaching more and more people, not less and less, which I think a lot of people would think would be the natural flow of things, right? As things get older, less and less people become involved. But it sounds like you're actually helping to grow the scene. Kind of, yeah. I mean, I mean, 10 years ago, I would have thought an email from Russia, that's probably spam. Well, 10 years ago, you couldn't find your hard drive. <laughs> <laughs> so... And most people, I think, think would have, would have felt that way about an email from Russia. I agree, a hundred percent. So I guess the the question is now, you know, now that you're 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 at this amazing milestone, 
and you've seen all of this evolution within the community, um, within the scene world and within the scene itself. What's next? Good question. Hmm. No, you're supposed to have an answer for that. You're, <laughs> you're running the show here. Well, well, well I, 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 I would like us to be um, much more known by the public outside of the scene. That would be cool. That's why uh, Martin and I we were discussing since a month now how we can how we can how we can do more um, well social media network marketing. I would say so. Um, that's at at least what I would like to. Um, right now, our podcast is the most successful media of of what we produce but it would also be good to um have the other sources of information we offer also be made more aware by the public so you'd like you'd like to see scene world become maybe not more mainstream but more accessible to and accessed and accessed by the mainstream yeah i would say so uh-huh. all right andrew what, what do you think I think, mean, from my point of view, I'd like to like to to keep on keeping on, you know, to keep keep being involved in in scene world to help out where I can. And again, I think you know, it's it's the the stories, the interviews that interest me the most. In that, you know, whoever whoever Jörg manages to track down next, I'll be interested in talking to them, researching them, uh, you know, and helping out with the podcast and doing. I'm gonna I'm gonna buy new games for Commodore 64 as they come out. I'm gonna buy new hardware to use because you know I'm a Commodore 64 fan. Um, but if I can then create a, a YouTube video reviewing it and spreading news about it, if I can you know record a podcast that that keeps someone else interested, and I think that's a that's a good goal in itself to keep other people interested. Martin. Well, for me, it's um, on the one hand, it's uh, keeping the scene spirit alive, and because uh, uh, being member of Scene World is just a, a nice starter. If you go to demo scene parties and talk to other people, or if you, as as I, um, uh, I DJ with my amigas. Actually, I, I do stuff with the with this whole whole hardware thing, and uh, and. This is one thing keeping people amazed that all this old hardware is just working. And if if they keep in touch with me and come and contact me, so I could say, hey, that's it's just not just this one thing I do music or something. There is actually a scene doing all this stuff on uh, diskettes. Uh, do you say discs? Discs, yeah. And uh, um, for me, as, as I see my children growing up with all these mobile things and the Xbox, the internet, um, if they see what I do here, if they come down under here and, 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 and touch the old hardware and, and touch the discs and, and I, I show them, hey, this is what we did last month, for example, they get big eyes and, and I can't imagine what it means what 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 work we are doing here and and so on the one hand it's the scene on the other hand it's just private people like my children to to show them it's all living although it's almost 40 years old yeah that's it that's it for me yeah 
That was not the the answer I I, I thought I would hear. That that's really great because I I think it sums it up so well, right? It's it, it's this, you know, I keep reading stats from from organizations like the, the ESA and and you know consumer agencies about how games are really central in the, in the home now, and you know we we carry around more computing power in our pockets, you know, than was used to send man to the moon. And I think it's really cool, Martin, that, that your point of view with your kids is that, you know, in order to understand where we are, you have to know where we came from. Yeah. And, that, and that's important. And I think that's really, really cool. <laughs> I think you guys are, are, are a large part of that, actually, in, in understanding, you know, where a lot of this came from. You know, we, we, we've talked about things like things that I bet, you know, your kids, Martin, wouldn't believe. It's like, what's a 300 baud? What does that even mean, right? Yeah. What is a modem? What is? It, it's it's just really cool to 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 see that line, and and it's a, it's not the straightest line in the world, is it? It's it's kind of an all over the map line from there to here. Yeah. That's true. That's true. I mean, I mean, think think about um, about how things changed in the last 20 years or 10 years or. 15 years. I mean, for example, um, Brian Becknell in 2005, he released the book Commodore on the Edge, The Rise and Fall. And before this book, the ma majority of people believed that the home computer market started off with, with Apple. And then this book came and people realized, wow, Commodore actually th th sold the most millions, you know. And and uh, before that, even when you when you did studies in Germany about computer history at the universities, they would tell you, oh, the home computer market started off with with the Apple computers, which isn't true. It was actually Commodore, you know, the Pet, the Kim One, all those yep. machines. But people weren't aware until somebody came. Um, like Brian Becknell, released this book, traveled all over USA. And, and I feel like this is what we did with SceneWorld too. Because when I started with SceneWorld with the idea, people told me, oh, there's no activity left in Canada or USA. Why would you even bother trying, you know? And it changed because now NTSC fixing is suddenly... Um, something that you would expect from a new commercial Z64 game. So yep. now you buy a new game from ProtoVision out of order or any of those other publishers and suddenly like, of course we have an NTC version too. <laughs> and when, when we started with SceneWorld, um, Andrew had to actually learn how to NTC fix stuff because nobody was willing to do it for us. <laughs> Poor Andrew. <laughs> yeah. Well, but I, I, I think that's in, in keeping with, with, you know, the, the larger scene itself, right? Is everybody kind of pools together to figure out how to get it done so that yeah. the rest of the community can, can experience it and, and, and enjoy everything. I think I remember, Andrew, you got um, taught by Dustin Chambers, Faz yeah. from yeah. Canada, how yeah. to actually anti-C-fix your own code, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wait, wait, wait. We, we have a coder debugging his own code. This is bad. <laughs> well, you see, I mean, when I when I first started learning to program, I learned to program on a, on a on a PAL machine, and that was it. You know, I wasn't I wasn't 
expecting my code to end up in America or somewhere else. Uh, you know, so yeah. So I learned that, and <laughs> wow. but I think that that's that's another part of it as well. This, this sort of learning thing. If you if you go through life and don't learn something, are you really living? Are you are you really growing? And I mean, I've learned so much from being part of Scene World, and I've learned. <laughs> I wouldn't. I wouldn't say I've learned life lessons from it, but it's certainly been a big. It's certainly been a big part of my life. <laughs> I thought we were going to get a really good mushy quote there for a second. <laughs> Let's try to get over the finish line. <laughs> I thought we were going to get the. It was just going to be like the quote on every channel. Tomorrow, I was just going to see all of Scene World's channels were just going to be this, you know, mushy quote dash Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, may, may, maybe um, AJ once once suggested we make a quote for the podcast, like we make people speak English because um, the number one the number one reasons for guests to not come on the podcast is my English is too bad, yeah. you know? And in the end, we never had a problem. <laughs> I, I think people always, always underestimate, especially non-native speakers. They always think their English is really bad. I mean, Andrew's English is horrible. I can barely <laughs> understand him, <laughs> but, but you guys are great. <laughs> I, I, I do find it. And, and I feel it, it, it's a self-criticism as well as I'm about to throw my country under the bus. Um, I do find in general, Europeans speak far better English than Americans speak literally any other language, including English by far. Um, oh, I, I, I can remember age 13, 14 being on holiday one summer and I met, two young Dutch boys who were on, on a camping trip. And we were talking about the Commodore 64, of course. And uh, uh, their English was brilliant. I mean, I was I, I, at school, I was learning French and I learned German, which was which was very vital in communicating with Jörg. And, uh, <laughs> and you know, uh, you know the, the best bit, though, was I had to I struggled to interpret a joke from a, from a computer magazine from that 64. Um, it was talking about a game called Last Ninja 2. And uh, the joke was, perhaps they should have called the first one the penultimate ninja. And although, although, they, although they could speak great English and understand me, they couldn't understand the, that joke because it relies on knowing right. the word. You know, it relies yeah, on knowing the word and what, how it means and why that's a, a subtle, sarcastic joke in English that might not work in another language. Yeah, exactly. And do, do you guys find you, you run into that? I'm assuming um, Scene World is available in multiple languages, or is it just English? Just English. Even the printed version? Just English. Yeah, the text, we, 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 we put out the text in English. Yeah. So, uh, do, do you find sometimes that that issue crops up, where someone may not fully understand because they're reading in their non-native language? I don't think so. Or do you just not let Andrew make really bad British jokes? <laughs> <laughs> no, I just I just feel like SeaWorld shouldn't exclude somebody. So if we offer another language or or something, it it wouldn't it wouldn't force the people to talk to us in a way that would make them understand all over the world. For example, um, I I had the cases where I did two interviews that were in German, 
but then I hired a group of people uh, at Fiverr to uh, translate and to voice over in, in English. So I made sure that there was a proper English version um, spoken by professional voiceover artists. Wow. That, that's um, a level yeah. of dedication that I don't think most people would expect. Yeah, I actually got praise for that. I actually got praise for that. Like, wow, guys, I never expected you would do, you would invest so much time and effort into making a proper English version. That that is impressive. That I think that speaks to the commitment you you guys all have to make sure that that all of the information that that you pulled together is available to as broad a, a group of people as possible. I think that's really impressive. Thank you. Yeah. That's so cool. So I know I know we talked about on the kind of the what's next, but literally what's next? What's the next issue? <laughs> well, right now we are thinking about uh, how uh, who <laughs> to interview this up, at, at Gamescom. Um, we are we are discussing on when to release Zine World 30, the next uh, Disc Mac issues. Um, I actually got sent by AJ the next podcast um, to edit. So we always have something running. Andrew is working on the next video. So we always have something in the works. There's so never stop. You have another milestone coming up then, the 30th issue. That's true. That's true. Yeah. Going to do special things for that too? Maybe we a special didn't article? Think about this. Uh, well, there will be the next. Okay, so now release. I'm a consultant. <laughs> <laughs> there will be the next, um, the next release of world music, which was an idea of Andrew to make a music collection with all the music we had from the past issues. And we do this every couple of years. And um, our Peruvian member, Victor, made the logo for it. So that will be coming next. That means our next issue will be three disc sites instead of two, because it's part of the next scene world. As you asked earlier, how many disc sites we are planning to do for the next issue? Three. Three. So breaking news. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. A, a, an XL version of scene world is coming. Exactly. Extra large, three exactly. discs, three sides. Exactly. Yeah, and as Andrew said earlier, the largest one was four disc sides. Yeah. So, so not totally crazy, but creeping back up towards the the, the supersizing of, of the mag. That's cool. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And I have to give credits to that uh, to um, Martin because when we when he came to the group, he became kind of the helping co-organizer. Because um, before I, everything that was happening here in Germany, I managed myself, and now he is kind of helping to uh, get things done. That's quite nice. So thanks, Martin. So that was kind of praise, because <laughs> you're kind of <laughs> helping. <laughs> <laughs> so, we all know the cat's um, doing all the work. So, so. so Martin is bigger than he looks. What? <laughs> I mean, in, in I'm not, his responsibility, I'm not I, mean, I mean, in his, in his, in his responsibility and participation in regards oh, oh, okay. I mean, he didn't look that small to me. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't say boulder. Oh, my. <laughs> oh. 
Mm. I see edits in our future. <laughs> yeah, there might be an edit there. For the big couple there. Yeah, there's, uh, yeah. there's a couple. One, one of the things is we have a lot of fun at Scene World. I remember when we did our second interview with Stefano Arnold, we had this situation where I thought, oh boy, um, Andrew was asking Stefano Arnold, so you made this limited edition Mega Drive, which is a Genesis in USA, by the way. And he asked him, so there is this light gun. Can you tell me which light guns are compatible with your new device? And I was like, oh boy. And I said like, okay, you don't have to. And Stefano said, no, no, I will call the engineer department and ask. And he really did. Live during the interview, he called the engineering department of Tectoy and asked the engineer if they put into support for the light guns of the of the Mega Drive. That was and did they? Well, well one yeah. of them all. One of, one of them all. The menace the menace light gun was compatible with the mini. So <laughs> that's pretty yeah. good. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. So I was like, oh my god, oh my god, no. Yeah. Like, people I, left, on the I left it in. I left it in. I didn't edit it out. So it's it's in the it's in it's in the podcast release. When were you yes. planning that? Jörg asked me to do research and I sent him sent him a file with with some, some ideas for questions and the research I'd done. He said, Wow, this is great, this is professional. And I thought, well that you know, that's that's what I do. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the thing about the podcast is I do a bit of research. AJ is asking the layman questions, and this is how we get how we get along. But Andrew didn't have uh, AJ didn't have time for this interview, so I asked Andrew to step in. And I know Andrew and Stefano; they are both veterans, and they both know a lot. Though they were nerding out about the game stories, and and I was like, okay, I'm not needed here. <laughs> you can do the interview alone. <laughs> I was thinking that. I was oh, so I'll stop that. talking to you, and Andrew and I will just have a chat. It'll be great. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that that was uh, so. Uh, Andrew is absolutely brilliant. Um, yeah. Do you agree, Andrew? No, wait a minute. Did you just shake your head, Martin? Martin just shook his no, head. No, it's just, it's, 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 I don't know the, the English word for it. It's, it's, it's the, all the praising here. It's it's, the, it's a love fest. Yeah. <laughs> That's all I wanted to state. Yeah. It's, a little, it's a little love fest. <laughs> They're actually planning a successor of the love parade. Which, which Germany is famous for, you know, this techno rave party that yep. was unfortunately stopped a while ago because of an accident. But they are actually announcing this year they are planning for a successor party. So maybe there will be another love party in Germany. Oh. And Andrew can go and, and not Andrew, Martin, you can go and you can DJ. Yeah. On the Amiga. <laughs> On your Amigas. In the streets of Germany, yeah. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Retro love. Yeah. So anyway, anyway, this uh, scene world idea was always for me like handle everybody equal, um, uh, let people connect to each other, get the scattered uh, parts of the demo scene all together or not demo scene. Um, for example, the reason why SceneWorld has a mouse support is actually because at that time there were a lot of Geos users in America, and I wanted to pull them over to read the magazine as well. So, 
So America is exclusively responsible for there being mouse support in Scene World. I guess so. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just looking for a bump for for the USA. That's all. <laughs> yeah. And um, actually, the design idea of the Maxis to have buttons and so on were coming from a Czech disc magazine from the Czech group Anubis. And the magazine was called Mods Kit, but they never actually made a second issue. So I picked up this idea of having a graphical user interface and I said like, hey, I can use my Windows 98 and um, make something similar with it. And this is and how we came to be. Yeah. And this is how Microsoft Paint became famous. <laughs> now, I, now I remember you said that that, that was that was how you originally designed the layout, right? It was in MS Paint. It is exactly, yeah. <laughs> That's all I had. That was before before uh, there was Photoshop or something. And even to this day, I'm not an art person. You know. So so the lesson there is MS Paint won't make you an artist. <laughs> no, <laughs> but we have good no artists who, who can make something out of crap. So that's outstanding. You, you know, and every time you guys share your stories, it it always comes back around to, you know, it really is collaborative. Both you know the the three of you and AJ and and, and everyone else you've named, but also the community itself. And and I I think that pretends so many great things for you guys. Yeah. You know, not just over the last twenty years, but for the next twenty years. Yeah, hopefully. I mean, we have Richard Bayless, uh, who is very much known for making games with um, TND, which is his group. And uh, since our NTSC fixing guy announced there's a break and he won't be fixing our intros, he said like, hey, I got an ultimate and I just switched it to NTSC. I will learn to fix my stuff myself for this <laughs> issue. So, hey, good. <laughs> Problem nice. solved. So. A lot of work for Scene World is how to solve problems. Both within the community and apparently within Scene World itself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Reverse engineering, finding stuff out, documenting it. That's a lot of work. Yeah. I can imagine. It, it, it takes a tremendous amount of dedication uh, to continue you know, anything for five years, never mind 20 years. And never mind that, that we're talking about you know, something that's that's so reliant on external forces and, you know, the the inevitable aging of, you know, physical hardware, um, which no one can control, and the, the way to continually find workarounds to make everything keep going forward. It, it's really impressive. It, 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 it takes a tremendous amount of dedication. Well, ask Martin how much time we needed to get this um, scripted emulator thing running. Uh, <laughs> how many emails? <laughs> how many emails we sent between uh, Austria and Germany? <laughs> uh, in, uh, oh my God! Yeah. But you guys didn't give up. That, that, no, that's no. kind of my point. It's like no. um, it, time and 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 the realities of. of of the space, you know, one one would think that, as so many clearly uh, have before, there, there would just come a point where it's, you know, I don't know it, what the point of doing this is anymore, right? And, but you guys are obviously such big fans of the C64 and Amiga that just the, the three of you on, on this podcast today, it's like, well, as long as they're here, there's always going to be somebody telling the story. 
I I I had a few moments of I feel like giving up, and then our, and then Martin were like, ah, come on, we will get this done. You know, I will do this and that, and ask this and that person, and two days, in two in two days we need we we, we meet again, and then we resolve this issue. And they're okay, okay. So sometimes even I'm losing my nerves and my hopes, you know. And if if Martin isn't the one, then AJ is the one who says like, keep keep calm, you know. Um, we will find a we will find a way. But I had a few moments where I thought like, okay, I better give up. Uh, but then I thought like, okay, we have uh, the appointment at Gamescom. We have the next issue. Um, I'm actually in touch with archive.org to preserve some videos from a famous journalist in Germany um, who did computer shows on television. And I never thought I would I would have a discussion about that with archive.org, you know, internet, the Internet Archive. Oh, my God. So, um, so if if we stop, all this would fall apart, and I feel kind of we are responsible to keep um, preserving the stuff and get the stories heard. You know, um, I mean, a lot of lot of people I interviewed, a lot of tech pioneers. There were eighty eight when I interviewed them, wow. or just recently Chuck Peddle, who unfortunately died. Um, if 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 I hadn't interviewed him, it would have been a big loss for for us. I think. I mean, we did an over three hours interview, the longest and he has ever done. That's outstanding, and 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 like you said, had had that not happened, I, I can't imagine just the knowledge and the stories and and the, exactly the history that that would have yeah. just ceased to exist. You know, when when he passed. Yeah. So you guys are really just. You're a lot more than, you know, maybe maybe people listening think of Scene World as like, ah, oh, it's, it's 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 that you know, it's that magazine I read that keeps me up to date on what's what's still going on in 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 the scene. And actually, you guys have become archivists and historians and you know keepers of the history, really. You know? I maybe think, I think that is a real I think that is a real issue for for not just the the home computer industry, the software industry. In general, I think there's there we're now at a point where more effort because unfortunately the the media itself is starting to break down. Um, here, disc rot and C, even CD-ROMs that we thought would would last forever are starting to break down or weren't weren't a very high quality. So you know you need to. You need to work out how to keep that because in a few years' time, someone is going to look back and say, "Well, where did that game come from? What what was happening? What was the design idea?" Because if you look back, you can also look forward. You can take an idea that's been done in the past and perhaps hasn't been revisited for years, and think, "Oh, maybe if we explore how this game works, we can we can come up with a new idea. We can come up with something interesting." And if you look back. At the efforts to preserve early cinema, there are people who, you know, are dedicating their lives to find films that are missing from the big archives. There's in the UK. This seems extraordinary now, but the the British Broadcasting Corporation, the BBC, routinely wiped films and videotapes of of programmes they produced, 
and so it's up to the the person who recorded it at home or even in some cases they found recently an episode of Doctor Who, the science fiction series, they found that at a TV station in Nigeria. They found wow. a, a copy of it. And so I think the games industry is now at a point where it needs to take that seriously. I know there are efforts, the Video Game History Foundation, here in the UK we've got the um, Museum of Computing History and there's a new organisation set up to do it. But in some small way, we are playing a part in that. We are capturing that history now. And what I'm also trying is and I interview people to interview people that haven't been interviewed in English before. For example, um, Yesh Terakura, the former head of Commodore Japan, he speaks English fluently, but before I did it, nobody interviewed him in video, in Skype. And I actually went to Tokyo three years ago and I spent time with him. And um, so I actually learned during this trip a lot more about Commodore and the um, video game history, computer history. So I actually am also traveling abroad and meeting people in, in person and um, interviewing people. Oh, um, and there's a lot of misconception and misinformation that really disturbs me. For example, a few years ago, I've learned that the Finnish inventor of SMS died. Well, I was like, wait a second, that's totally bogus. The inventor was German, Friedhelm Hillebrand. So I emailed Friedhelm Hillebrand and I said like, hey, I've read you died. Uh, but of course you aren't Finnish, you are German, you, you are alive. Can I interview you in English in Skype video? And we did. And it was the first English and, and the only English video interview he ever did. And I asked him why didn't nobody else interview you in English? He said, I don't know. I spoke English all my time because he was working for German Telecom and his job in the early 80s was to find a way to make cheap communication between the world globally. And then he found out there is a gap in the transmission of the telephone signal and he, you can use that gap to transmit text. And this is how SMS was invented. But nobody outside of Germany ever asked how did SMS happen to be? Because everybody just thinks about WhatsApp and so on. And then I had this idea, let's do this interview. And to this day, those two interviews uh, are exclusively at Steenbrot. Just and an example. Is, yeah, and, and they're perfect examples of, of what I said earlier. I mean, you, you guys have become, in, in many ways, archivists and historians. You know, you, you're fact-checking, you know, what's out there and correcting the misinformation. Um and, and preserving it for, for future generations. I think that's absolutely amazing. I mean, to to Martin's point, this is stuff that, you know, maybe 20 years from now, your kids look at and say, you know, my dad had a part in that. He He's the one that, that worked on Scene World, you know, back when they were preserving this information. And if it hadn't been for his efforts and, and their efforts, you know, maybe we wouldn't wouldn't still remember this. That's a big responsibility, guys. And not, not to freak you out. <laughs> Netflix, but, give us a contract, please. Yeah. You, you know, it, it's funny. I was just about to say, I, I've watched, you know, some computing documentaries uh, on Netflix. And I do find it interesting that there's always this, you know, everybody talks to Nolan Bush now, right? Everybody wants to, because he's the father. And he's really not. 
And what I find interesting is very often he'll admit to it, right? Yeah. He, he, he will confess that, you know, it didn't start with me. It started here. I'm just the guy that, that managed to put it forward, right, yeah. and, and get it the, all the attention. Um, and I, I think there are an awful lot of people that, that fall in the cracks and kind of get overshadowed by a Nolan Bushnell within their space. And it's important to, to kind of pull those people back out into the light and say, hey, no, you know, like like you were just saying, you're that this is the person and, and, and we should hear from them. And this is why I interviewed uh, Ralph Baer just to to draw the line with Nolan Bushnell. And he was 91 at this time, and this was the longest interview he's ever given, exactly one hour. And a few weeks later, after releasing the interview, he unfortunately died. So, um, Ralph Baer, our interview is the, the last and the longest interview he's ever given. And, um, of course, Nolan Bushnell also has a mention in there. In that interview. So he in mentioned that interview, Nolan. yes. And, of course, um, after that, I also interviewed Nolan Bushnell to get his side of the story. So I always try to connect, connect, the, to, to connect the dots, you know. And, and, and I think that's oftentimes, you know, especially as, as Andrew was saying, within this space, within the, the computer industry and the games industry and, and the, the pieces of information that are being lost. But the context is being lost as well. Right. Mm, so yeah. I, I think to your point with connecting the dots, that's as vital, if not potentially more vital than 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 the other things that, that we've been talking about, where if there is no context, does it matter? Right. If, if, if I can't understand the context of of what's happened and, so that I can understand what's likely to happen, um, having all this information is just information at that point. Right. But it, that that's a huge service, you know, to the scene to, to provide that context and, and help people understand what it is that, that they're looking at and hearing and, and learning really from you guys. And, and that's also a big problem for um, nowadays publishers and coders. For example, Martin and I, we did an interview um, in, in, at EA about Need for Speed. And I did an interview with one of the core developers. And I asked, okay, now this is the new Need for Speed payback. Um, mm -hmm. What's in it for the people who, who played the first part in the series? Um, Need for Speed at nine at 1995, and he started like, uh, 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 you know. <laughs> so he wasn't really expecting. He wasn't really expecting this retro-related question. And Martin mentioned it once when we did a Gamescom special. I'm always the only person in the room at press conferences yeah. asking retro-related <laughs> questions to successors of game series. That's that even coders uh, don't know because they were too young to, to know. <laughs> I don't want to be in that room. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but, but, but even that's good, right? You know, kind, kind of reminding the people who, who are now the caretakers of, of that, you know, IP or of, of that game or whatever. Yeah. That, that, hey, you know, the, this, there, there are people that remember. So, so there's, there's an expectation there. Yeah, and, and sometimes there are even positive examples. For example, when we did the interview with the new Larry game uh, two years ago, and I looked at the animation, I was like, oh, there's our friends missing. And the coders are like 21 that took over the IP. And said, no, 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 we intended it to be like that. That's not frame missing. 
that's retro animation right, for the new exactly. game. And and they actually they actually did the research and they knew about all the history of um, the battle between Lucas film games, Lucas Arts and Sierra and so on. Mm-hmm. And this is interesting that they really went so far when they got the uh, license and the um, contract to make the new successor, they actually learned about the history of the company and what was the war between the two companies at that time. And that is what a lot of developers don't do, but they did it. Right. And we are talking about people who are 21, so long before they were born. And actually, in the comment section of this YouTube video, there were people saying like, wow, those people really deserve to push the series forward they really did a lot of research about the history of the game. So half of the interview is nerding about the history of Sierra and the fight between <laughs> uh, Lucas film games with people who were never been around in the 80s. <laughs> so that's um, so there are also positive examples. That's definitely and are going backwards and researching before working on something. And and that's great because that that that's showing that you know. You can honor the past while still making something very modern and timely. Yeah, yeah. I, I I think that's important. I you know again to, to Andrew's point, you, you have to know where you came from to, to exactly. do the next thing and and understand um, what does and doesn't work. To you know you you were talking about the the different types of storage mediums. You 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 go back to a five and a quarter inch disc. It effectively is, you know. Audio tape, it's the same technology. It's, it's magnetic technology, right? And we learned that, hey, that degrades, that wears. The, there's there's a cost every time you, you run that disc, right? That you're going to degrade some, some percentage of that. And at some point between a combination of use and friction and humidity in, in your environment, that medium will fail. So what was the next thing? And I think as we go forward, as we start looking at more and more types of, of storage technology, we have to have that reference. We ha- what, why are compact discs failing now? Let's learn why. What, what is it inherently in certain materials that may cause our next storage medium to fail far sooner than, than we thought? And if you don't have a point of reference, you, you can't do that. Um, and, and, and I think... You know, Scene World really kind of helps further that conversation because you, you guys do have that conversation still, right? Yeah. You, you guys, you know, we were talking earlier. How, yeah. how do we make the, the hardware survive? How do we make the disc survive? How do we how do we keep it alive if only at some point in the far distant future as a reference guide for, for the people that come after all of you? And it's amazing to have uh, archive.org who are professional in this um, having interviewed them and now having them as a partner in crime, it's totally <laughs> amazing, you know. I think it's recognition of, of, yeah. of what we've been talking about the last 10 or 15 minutes and, and the important of, importance of, of the history and the importance of you guys in the context of that history. More more the last 15 minutes instead of 15 minutes. But <laughs> <laughs> Fair point. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, well, maybe maybe you ask what's coming back next. Maybe maybe we do the Scene World Tape Magazine next. There you go, great. <laughs> oh, <God. That's> it. <laughs> we release the podcast on cassette. Is that going to be the next big thing? <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, the the the, the numbers. I was a joke, it, Martin. Don't no, go there. It is not. <laughs> Actually, releasing music on 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 vinyl and and tape is such a big thing at the moment. Yeah, yeah. So uh, why not? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I was I was watching something the other day where they were talking about VHS is coming back. I'm like, no, <laughs> but, but don't. Well, the difference the difference between uh, tape and so on. They were good quality tapes about audio, but they weren't good quality VHS tapes. Correct. They were all super cheap. Yeah, yeah. unfortunately, and the technology was so crude even back in the day. We we just mentioned uh, vinyl. I was quite uh, lucky uh, last year. Some of my Commodore sixty four music has actually been featured on a on a vinyl EP. Really? So uh, there's a, a group called Chaos Generator, who uh, from from Holland, who are making uh, electronic music inspired by the Commodore sixty four SID chip. And uh, as part of their Kickstarter campaign, they wanted to make a little game to give away. And so I wrote uh, the music for the game, which is also called Chaos Generator. And uh, they added a 10-inch vinyl EP as a perk to the, uh, the Kickstarter campaign. And so on, on side A is music by Jason Page, who's a professional composer and worked on games for their Commodore 64 and Amiga. And on side B is the, the soundtrack from Chaos Generated by me. So, <laughs> now yeah. I got to go support the Kickstarter and send it to you and get it signed. You, that's well, you that's can, a thing that needs to happen. <laughs> you, can, you can go on Kickstarter right now, search for the Hessian soundtrack, and uh, the uh, the vinyl EP is available as, as a perk on that as well. So you can, you oh, can track that down. <laughs> nice. Yeah, Lasse Ernie. A good guy from Finland who mm. actually helped us getting a F IAQ fast loader for the magazine. Very cool. Yeah. It, again, it's it's so intertwined and interrelated. It it, it really is amazing. And and the thing is, and the thing is, what most people don't know, the disk routine is actually also combined by a drawing routine for the graphical user interface, and it's it's called Mr. Mouse, and it was originally used for uh, Loadstar, but was also available separately. And I actually did a phone call to Lee Nowak, who is the programmer of this uh, this little thing, this environment, and I asked him for permission to use it in a new project called SceneWorld, and he gave us the permission. So that's also important for me. We 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 never just used something and didn't ask for it. So uh, uh, people were were thinking we are totally crazy at that time. I remember that um, back and forth. People were telling me, "What you are wanting to do this? What in what kind of thing in a disc magazine with black and play in with in two thousand in two thousand yeah yeah and here we are twenty years later." Yeah, I, I'm sure at the time it, it it just seemed so incredibly archaic to people who were yeah. watching the future just evolve so quickly. Well, right? not you. You asked about recognition. Actually, um, a week after after released the first issue, Bavarian Three, a German radio station, called my mother while I was at education and said, "Hey, the radio called. They want to interview you about this new disc magazine you are making." I'm like, you're joking. No, I'm not. And um, yeah, and actually five years ago, I actually had a German um, film, and uh, not, not a German TV crew here, a journalist with a film 
crew and so on, and they did an interview for breakfast television and for the night news about retro and the new NAS Mini because I helped doing um, research about that. And so I became famous in my city. You know, see, the doctors... see, I knew we were going to get to a story where it's not <laughs> yeah. just AJ. So, so, the, 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 <laughs> so when it was, when this, when this um, late news um, snippet on the television was reused for breakfast television a month later, and I came to work the next day, they were like, I, I had my breakfast and it was almost falling out of my face when I saw you <laughs> on television. <laughs> so, so, so your coworkers had no idea that, that what you did had, had become so popular, right? No, no. And when I was at the at my GP a week later, he said, "Like I heard, you are our most famous patient now." <laughs> Great. Now they're going to raise your rates. Oh no, that's an American thing. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, yeah. Well, um, no. Here, here, Europe, we officially have health insurance. Fortunately. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, yeah, that is that is one of those stories where I got recognized. Um, That's great. See, see, AJ, it's not all about you. Yeah. No. <laughs> um, <laughs> see what happens oh. when you don't show up. People talk. <laughs> well, I tried. I try not to miss out anybody, you know. Yeah. And um, yeah, so there are there are a lot of more staff members we have. Like Gary from China, who 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 did all this interface thing for the web version of the C64 um, version of the magazine, actually emailed back and forth with the with the coder of the uh, web version of Vice, a JavaScript implementation that originally was put on ice because nobody was using it, and I I digged him down and I said like, hey, we want to use this. Can you please? unfreeze your project and continue with it and he actually did well very cool so the last two hours we, we we've really covered an amazing amount of ground i feel like there's we, we could spend another 20 hours with with all of the stories that, that you guys have accumulated uh over the last 20 years but if if i gave you each 30 seconds say like your last word if i gave you 30 seconds what is the one thing at, that that your time at Scene World you'll never forget. The, the one thing, other than the five-year disc thing, Andrew. Um, what what is the one thing? And I'll let Martin start this one. Well, for me, it's Scene World. It's it's um, you know you're living, you're doing your thing, and if one issue of Scene World is coming up. Then all the magic starts, <laughs> and that's it. That that is it for me. The work with with the with the people, the work with uh, with uh, all this we are covering. It's it's for me. It's uh, Gamescom to be honest, uh, because it's getting in contact with people face to face, not just over the internet like we are supposed to uh, do these days. And uh, yeah, it's 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 the work uh, with people. Nerding around, yeah, that that's that's seamless for me, yeah. Andrew, I would have to say, if there's one thing that Seenworld has meant to me, is is the friendships. I, you know, I've made several really good friends. I mean, 
Jörg has supported me through some difficult times. Um, I I just feel that there is this sort of almost worldwide friendship, and the, the world part of the name is there for a reason. It is about the whole world, that whole how the whole world still uses and is still interested in the Commodore 64 and the old machines, and you know that's what it means to me. All right, last word, Jörg. Well, I guess the group effort is what it means to me. I mean, uh, for example, last um, Gamescom, we had an interview with Hans Ippisch, who is working with Tommy Tellerico on the new Intellivision Amico system. And I, as a surprise, I said, like, okay, Victor, our Peruvian guy, come with us. And actually, um, it led into um, a contact between all of those people and since then victor is very active and motivated um to work with us again and work on uh, retro games and if i can make people motivated to be more active again and to work with us more um directly and tougher again then i reached my goal because i always wanted this to be um, a hobby project where we can all benefit from each other and doing some awesome stuff that nobody else dares to try. Sounds perfect. So we're going to do this again in 20 years? Put it in sorry. Nice. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully we are all still around. Yeah, why not? Sounds good. I, I'm in. Call me. I'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, this has been a blast. I, I feel like I've I've learned things that I didn't even know I didn't know. Um, <laughs> seriously, I mean, there, there, there's so much detail. The, the, the knowledge that, that you three possess uh, about, you know, the, the Commodore scene is, is just phenomenal. And, and I know it's it's been accrued over so many years and I know it comes from a love and passion for, for the hardware. Um I, I, I think all of you really boiled it down to what can best be expressed as a single word. It, it's a family, right? It's 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 yeah. this group effort, it's community, but it, it's really family. I, I, I can tell, you know, and, and, and I'm sure to to those that are listening and, and to those that, that that, you know, regularly read the magazine, I, I'm sure they feel very much connected and, and a part of that family. And, and, I, and, and to Andrew's point, you know, it's it's it, it's worldwide. And yeah. and I totally get the sense that, you know, through your stories, that, that a lot of the love that goes into this comes right back uh, yeah. from all the readers and listeners. So thank you for letting me be a part of your 20th anniversary. Uh, thanks, I, I, thanks I feel for very honored. Us. Yeah. Yeah, th this was great. Thanks, guys. This was fun. <laughs> the yeah. first time we, we, we didn't do the interview, uh, the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> See? Makes yeah. it a little bit more interesting. Hopefully, hopefully. Very cool. Thanks, wow. everybody. Well, thanks a lot.